Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This past week I was driving over to church and I was channel surfing on the radio when suddenly I heard a song I haven't heard in a long time. And it goes something like this. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if a lot of people might know that, it's by U2. Now, there's some interesting things I learned from listening to that song. Besides learning I was listening to an oldie station, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I'm that old, but I realized that each generation from the greatest generation to Generation Z have this style of song permeate throughout each of their generations. Funny enough, as I was pondering this driving down the road, I noticed a Ford Explorer pull right past me. And then it dawned on me, our SUV names also have taken on this yearning for looking for something. Besides the Ford Explorer, we have things like the Nissan Pathfinder or Lincoln, or Lincoln Navigator, to name a few. So there is yearning in each of us to find something. But what is that something? Is it yearning to find the best pizza? To find the best sports team? The best church? I wonder if there's a reason that God hardwired each of us to have this kind of yearning. Now, if this is the case, I wonder if God also has an answer for us. And interesting enough, the Bible, God's word does have an answer for us today. These last couple of months, we've been exploring the Gospel of John. And I'd like you to pull out your Bibles, these these little black things that you find in the pews, or pull up your Bible apps, and I'd like everyone to turn to John chapter 6, which can be found on page 867 of those pew Bibles. And as you're getting there, I'm going to talk a little bit more before we hit that verse, or hit that chapter. Now, one of the things we like to do here at Gethsemane is not just talk about the Bible, but actually invite you to open its pages. And as you're finding that page, let me catch you up to speed on what's been going on. There's a man whose name is Jesus, who claims to be God's son. He has been preaching, teaching, and healing people up and down Israel. And now he's a pretty popular guy for doing all this. They can't print enough Jesus is number one shirts, enough to keep them on the store shelves. So here we are in chapter 6. Jesus has such a big following that there are 5,000 men following him and probably a lot more women and children as well. After a hard day of healing and preaching, Jesus' disciples begin to worry about the crowd because they were getting hungry. And guess what? There are no Chipotles or McDonald's nearby at all. So Jesus' disciples are freaking out. They don't want this crowd to riot. However, Jesus instructs them to see what they got for food. All the food that the disciples could scour up at that time were five loaves of bread and two fishes. Jesus takes these items, blesses them, and then proceeds to pass them out. So let's take a look at verse 12. When they, the crowd, were satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. The word satisfy in Greek actually means the type of satisfy many of us will feel later today around those Easter lunches, brunches, and suppers. It means so stuffed that we can't even drink water without exploding. And the amazing thing is, not just the people were satisfied, but look at verse 13. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. 
There was abundance left over. Jesus had filled their need, and there was ample enough left over. It's no wonder that in verse 35, which is on your next page, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. From this one Bible story, I think many of us would agree that Jesus would be that one thing we should be looking for. However, in our current time and place, we are a lot more skeptical about what we are looking for, aren't we? For one thing, how do we know this isn't fake news? The second thing is, if this Jesus character and his extension to the church is such a good thing, then why, when I used to go to church in the past, did I feel such loneliness? Or why did I feel shameful? Or why did I feel so unwelcome? The truth to the last part is that we in the church have made following Jesus a lot more complicated than it really needs to be. In many cases, we have turned church from a place that welcomes all to a place that better represents a country club. If that is where you're at today, I'd like to apologize for that experience because this is not what Jesus wants for you or even hopes for you. The question remains, though, what is so special about this Jesus guy and how do I really know that he is the one I'm looking for? To answer this a little better, I want us to turn back to chapter 4 of John, which can be found on page 864. If you're wondering why I'm having you do such uh, so many biblical aerobics today, I'm trying to get you nice and hungry for those meals that are coming later today. In this chapter of John, chapter 4, Jesus is sitting at a well around noon. It's been a long, hot, thirsty day, so he's thirsty. A woman from the local village is drawing water, and he asks her a simple question. Can I have a drink? No big deal, right? Well, let's take a look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Well, I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting that response at all. But Jesus is unfazed, though. He tells the woman that if she knew about the gift of God and the person sitting in front of her who could give her that gift, this gift of living water, she would be asking him for a drink. Now, as with most people we encounter in the Gospel of John, she is confused, and I think we are too at times, at what Jesus really means by this. She doesn't think that this man, this Jewish man, has what she's looking for. When Jesus continues the conversation, he asks her to bring her husband back with her so that he can talk to both of them at the same time. And then the woman replies, I have no husband. And Jesus knew this, and she, he knows her pain. He knows that she's either outlived or been divorced from five different husbands. And she was divorced not for being a bad wife, but because she couldn't have children. And this is the reason why she's actually living with her brother right now, because... No one else would care for her. Let's jump down to verse 19. Then the woman said to Jesus, Sir, I see you are a prophet. She changes the subject because it's still hard to face this painful part of her life. And it's easier to change the subject to talk about stuff more abstract than the pain that's still within her heart. And how many times do we do this with Jesus ourselves? How many times do we avoid going to Jesus with our real-world problems that keep us up at night?
And as they started talking about religion, which would be a topic that would normally divide a Jewish person from a person from Samaria because they have such different ideas, something unique happened, something different happened. Jesus doesn't allow the topic to be divisive, but instead challenges the woman to think about what would it be like for God to be in her life. And if you go to verse 25, and the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Let me put that another way. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But then what happens in verse 26? Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And the woman can't believe her eyes. She is so excited that she found what she is looking for that she goes and tells her whole village about this guy. This same village who, had nothing, who wanted nothing to do with her. A village with people who would not help her at all. But still, she goes to them to tell them this exciting news. She talks to them about this guy who, who knew her. A guy who promised just because she didn't have the perfect life, enough money, or the right hairdo, that she was still loved. And that she was one of God's children. And this is how we know the promise of Jesus is true. It changes lives. People begin to find what they're looking for, and they change. Love begins to spread. Compassion becomes abundant, and hope is let loose. Well, how about you today? Have you found what you're looking for? What is going through your heart and mind on this Easter Sunday? Is today just one of those days that you come to church to please mom? Do you look into the tomb like Peter and the other disciples shrugging your shoulders and simply, eh, that's good enough, we'll go home? Or do you look like Mary, who sees the empty tomb and finds Jesus? And this changes who she is, so she announces it to the whole world that she has seen the Lord, a Lord who will come into our lives and change who we are, a Lord who accepts us, a Lord who walks with us through our struggles, and a Lord who loves us so much that he vanquished death for you and for me. Because of this, the world has changed. Can't you feel the hope? Can't you feel the darkness lifting and the light shining? Can't you feel that this day is a day where you don't have to be trapped in that person you are, but you can begin to step into the person that God wants you to be? And this is the miracle of Easter and why we celebrate the living Lord. Are you ready for that change? Are you ready to find what you have so desperately needed? So I hope today you are able to say, yes, indeed. I have found what I am looking for. And that I'm ready to embrace this change and let Jesus into my life and become the person that God wants me to be. Amen.